week 11 of a series that has us walking through the gospel of John. And what we are seeing is that the Apostle John is continually calling us to believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And in calling us to believe that, he's calling us to have life in his name. And that's what we're going to look at today, ultimately, being healed from a distance, but how it leads to life in his name. This morning we come to the, the first recorded healing miracle, that miracle giving, given in detail um, in the Gospel of John. And when we think about that word miracle, we know that miracles can be a difficult topic for Christians. For those of us who hold to the truthfulness of God, we also have to hold to the truthfulness of his word and therefore if his word is true, we hold by faith to every miracle that is contained within it. Even when turning water into wine, even when being born of a virgin or being raised from the dead runs against our modern sensibilities, meaning when we can't figure it out, we still trust what the word of God says. For in it is no errors, no deceit whatsoever. But just think about why we struggle so much. Just consider the outlandish headlines that oftentimes we commonly read when standing in line at the grocery store. I went online, I don't know why I wasted my time doing this, but I actually went online to the National Enquirer and read a few of their, their headlines. Let me just share a few of them with you. Woman mauled to death by her own fur coat. Severed leg hops to the hospital. Alien Bible found they worship Oprah. Now that possible anyway woman gives birth to angel now it might have been an angel at birth but it's not an angel when it turns to just just saying and then of course one that could be true world's fattest cat owns 23 old ladies could be true i don't know but a skeptic will often why is everybody looking at sarah i don't know why y'all doing that anyway they were looking. I, I, I saw them, Sarah. I'm sorry. But a skeptic will, will ask, well, do you believe in these things? Do you believe in the cover of the National Enquirer? And, of course, we will say, of course not. We don't believe that. And then the skeptic might say, well, then by your own admission, you don't believe in miracles. And the assumption that is if, if you can't believe in the unlikely headlines and the tabloids, you shouldn't be able to believe um, in the miracles of the Bible either. And I know a lot of people who really get tripped up by the miracles of, of Scripture. Even Christians aren't always sure what to make of the biblical stories and the miraculous he healings other than to say our God is ridiculously powerful and that should settle it. You know, there are people that have zero faith in God and yet if their favorite football team comes from behind one Saturday, let's say a 99-yard drive with less than two minutes left and they win the game in the midst of a joyous celebration, they might shout out, we won, it's a miracle. Or that same individual, if they get in a car accident where People around say, you should have died. Others might say, well, it was a miracle. Or they might even say it themselves. It was a miracle. Now, others, however, have worked out or worked through the logic of miracles and determined that miracles can't happen. I think of David Hume, the 18th century Scottish philosopher who kind of concluded the unreasonableness of miracles when he defined a miracle this way. A miracle is a violation of the laws of nature. So therefore, because it violates the laws of nature, it can't happen. Now, in his best-selling book, Reason for God, Pastor Tim Keller defined a miracle this way, the intervention of God into the natural order. So it's God intervening into that which is 
natural, into the laws of nature because of a greater law, his law, his word. But how do you bring those two together? C.S. Lewis came to this conclusion. He says this, there is no use going to the text until we have some idea about the possibility or probability of the miraculous. Those who assume that miracles cannot happen are merely wasting time by looking into the text. We know in advance what results they will find. So if you go to the Bible not believing it, chances are you're going to continue not to believe what is within it. But let me just say this. There is nothing illogical about miracles if a creator God exists. So if God exists, who is big enough to create the universe and all of its complexity and vastness and to create it all out of nothing, then why should a mere miracle be such a mental stretch to believe? If there is a God exists that has done all of that, then every other thing in my life, based on his power, is possible. C.S. Lewis, again, writes th these words, and hopefully we have on the screen. He says this, Miracles are a retelling in small letters of the very same story which is written across the whole world in letters too large for some of us to see. So miracles are just a retelling in small letters of what God has already written across the universe. And the letters are so big that some people just can't see them. Just can't come to the idea and to the reality in their own minds that God has done it all. But coming to this first healing miracle in the Gospel of John, we have to acknowledge that there is nothing more evident in the Gospels than the miracles of Jesus Christ. And all of these miracles are pointing to not just what Jesus has done, they're pointing to who he is as the very Son of God. And yet, some still won't see. Some still refuse to see him for who he is. So what do we do with the miracle stories, especially as we acknowledge that we in this room, there have been times throughout this year already where we have been placed in situations where you and I have called out to God for the miraculous. Where we have called out to God asking him to do what we can't do, to do a miracle in our lives. And this is where we have to see that Jesus' miracles aren't just a challenge to our minds. Yes, we can't always explain away the miracles of Jesus. They're not just a challenge to our mind, they're also a promise to our hearts. Miracles are a promise to our hearts showing us that our Savior can do what we can't. And he is able to, to take any distance, any problem, any issue, any pain, any difficulty, any impossibility in our lives. And through him, they become possible. And we trust him in and through them all. So if you're able to stand, I'm going to ask you to stand as we honor God's word. We're going to read John 4, verses 46 through 54 together, and then dive in here. So beginning at verse 46, John writes these words. So he came, being Jesus, came again to Cana in Galilee, where he had made the water wine. And at Capernaum there was an official whose son was ill. When this man heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went to him and asked him to come down and heal his son. For he was at the point of death. So Jesus said to him, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. The official said to him, sir, come down before my child dies. Jesus said to him, go, your son will live. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. And as he was going down, his servants met him and told him that his son was recovering. So he asked them the hour when he began to get better. And they said to him, yesterday at the seventh hour, the fever left him. 
The father knew that was the hour when Jesus had said to him, Your son will live. And he himself believed in all his household. This was now the second sign that Jesus did when he had come from Judea to Galilee. Let's pray. Father, just have your way today in our time together. Show us, Jesus, that there is no distance that you can't cover. There is no distance that your power, Father, can't absolutely overwhelm. There's nothing in our life that is greater than you, O oh God. You are greater than it all. And just remind us the kind of Savior that we have. Or today, for the first time, may people see you as that which they need most, a Savior from their sin. Just speak, O oh God, in Jesus' name. Amen. And you may be seated. So think about what we just read. We read this, and here's what comes to my mind. Sometimes we need to go back to a place where we have experienced a miracle. Meaning, sometimes we need to go back to a place where God has done something in our lives that's undeniable, and we need to go back to that place. We need to hit our knees. We need to thank God, and we need to allow God to reset our mind and to renew our faith for God to be able to do it again. Because here's the thing, oftentimes we forget what God has done in the past and therefore we live as hopeless in the present and for the future. We forget the miracles that God has done in our lives and because we forget them, we live as if we have no hope right now or for the future. We need to go back to those places where God did the miraculous. For instance, if you're Lazarus, then you go back and you put flowers on your own grave. Because you're not in it anymore. If you're Zacchaeus, you go back and you climb that sycamore tree. And you think about Jesus calling you out of it. If you're Paul, you get back on your horse. And you ride to the road uh, to Damascus to the very moment and very place where God knocked you off that said horse. If you're Peter, you hop in a boat and you row, row, row that boat to the place where God or Jesus called you out of the boat to walk on the water. If you're Elijah, you go back to Mount Carmel where God defeated 450 prophets of Baal, sending fire from heaven. If you're David, you go back to that valley where through the power of God, a 10-foot giant was defeated. If you're Moses, you go back to a burning bush or you go back to the Red Sea. And if you're Jesus, you go back to Cana of Galilee. And I know that, I know that Jesus is in a category uh, by himself. He's in a category of one, yet the facts are facts. We need to oftentimes, we need to revisit the places where God has done miracles in our lives. For we are told here that Jesus came again to Cana. Now, Cana was the place where Jesus performed the first miracle, water into wine. His first miracle, now he has come again. And we are quickly introduced to a government official who comes to Jesus, and this definitely makes sense to us. Because when your child is on their deathbed, you will move heaven and earth to help them. You will move heaven, you'll do anything humanly possible to help them. Or... You will humble yourself before the maker of heaven and earth because you realize you can't and God, you're the only one that can. But when you're in that place, this makes sense. Many times the script has to flip in order for us to acknowledge who God is, meaning we have to become weak and we have to acknowledge our strength isn't enough. So we turn to one who has all the strength, all the power, all the wisdom. Yet, as we're going to see this morning, just turning to him and acknowledging his power isn't enough. 
So this official came from Capernaum to Cana. This Cana was 20 miles away from Capernaum and 700 feet above it, meaning that this official would have traveled 20 miles uphill through rugged terrain to get to Jesus because his son was sick. And write this down if you take notes. Sometimes our faith is measured in miles. Sometimes our faith is measured in miles. In this case, 20 miles of faith. And I'm not talking about earning miracles. What I'm talking about, think back with me to John 2, the miracle of water and wine, where Jesus told the, the servants, fill up the water jars. Now, they had to do the, the natural. They had to fill them up before God would do the supernatural. Same thing in our lives. We have to sometimes do the natural before he will do the supernatural. Now, we can't earn a miracle any more than we can earn salvation. We can't manipulate God. But we must use our effort to come to God, and we must use our effort to obey God. Now, someone has said this, that grace is not opposed to effort. Grace is opposed to earning. Or to put it this way, earning is an attitude, effort is an action. And just think about this. I want you to think about your needs this morning. And this is when I'm, I'm going to get a little excited here. My face is going to get red, and you're probably going to see the vein right here. But think about the needs in your life. And then ask yourself, what are you willing to do to see God work? Are you willing to walk 20 miles uphill to see God do something? Are you willing, like Israel, to circle the city of Jericho some 13 times? Are you willing, like Naaman, to dip in the Jordan River even though it makes zero sense at all? Are you willing, like Elijah, to pray seven times for rain? Are you willing, like Elijah, or excuse me, Isaiah and, and the prophets to proclaim a message that wasn't received and um, wasn't welcomed by an unbelieving people? What are we willing to do to see God work? And here's what I'm telling you this morning, brothers and sisters. Oftentimes the answer to that question for the common Christian is we're not willing to do much. We're not willing to do much. Jesus says you have not because you ask not. So the, the indictment over us is we're, we're not even willing to ask for a miracle. We're not even willing to keep asking, keep seeking, and keep knocking. We're not willing to keep trusting God in the midst of what we go through. We oftentimes turn to ourselves, even though we're futile. We turn to others who let us down over and over and over again, all the while ignoring the one who has in his hand the answer to every need you and I will ever go through. Oh, brothers and sisters, help us to have our eyes open to see the beauty of who we're ignoring. And let's stop ignoring him. And let's turn to him. Let me, let me just be very careful here. So our effort won't make miracles happen. But I do believe this. Our e effort might keep miracles from happening. If we're not even willing to do what, uh, take a simple step of faith. If we're not even willing to ask, we could be keeping ourselves from what God desires to do in our lives. And we might look and we might shake our fist at God and blame God for everything when God is looking at us saying, just ask. Just ask. Or just take that step of faith. Just believe me. Just believe me. So let, let's turn now this morning and unpack three truths related to Jesus' undeniable authority that allowed him to heal from a distance. And we're going to see that distance this morning, not just through a word from Jesus and healing of a sick person, but that distance even in our own hearts right now um, in this moment. Truth number one is this. Healings were done by the authority of Christ. 
Healings were done by the authority of Christ. So we see this young son healed by the authority of Jesus. So you and I, we are limited in our authority. We have some authority, but our authority is fragile. Our authority is limited. When we feel powerless, we will either turn to a more powerful one or we will either try to scheme our way through it, normally always making it worse, right? I mean, we make it worse when we try to put our hands on it. And one of the things that Jesus is saying here is Jesus is saying, I have the power over human weakness and you don't. Please hear this this morning. At your strongest, at my strongest, I am utterly weak. At your strongest, you are utterly weak. In your strongest moment, in my strongest, in your, the greatest power you've ever had in your life, guess what? You can't uphold the world for one second. You can't. I can't. That's how weak we are. And there are so many texts in the Word of God that show us that meekness and weakness and desperation and brokenness are all vessels that God uses to bring his power into our lives. As we realize he can't, or we can't, excuse me, but he can. And the authority of Jesus calls us to rest in his authority, to rest in him and never try to flex our own. Just look with me here. See the authority of Jesus on display. Verse 50. Jesus said to him, go, your son will live. The man believed. Verse 51. As he was going down, his servants met him and told him that his son was recovering. Verse 52, so he asked them the hour when he began to feel better, and they said, yesterday at the seventh hour. Verse 53, the father knew that was the hour when Jesus had said to him, your son will live. So the time of healing was at the same moment that Jesus spoke words of assurance and promise to him. Go, your son will live. Here's the timeline. This official found Jesus a tad before 1 p.m. Jesus healed his son at 1 p.m. with just a word. Go, your son will live. The official then trusted Jesus and left. Think about that. What would you and I do? If I go to Jesus, Jesus, my son is sick, please come and heal him. And Jesus says, go, your son will live. I'm going to go. And Jesus is going to say, can I help you? Yeah, Jesus. We, we need to keep this conversation going. I know you said to go and he'll live, but I really need you to come with me. Go, your son will live. Jesus, 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 I'm just trying to help you. Help me help you, Jesus. Let, let's, let's, let's walk here. Let, let's try to figure it out. But that's not what this man did. Jesus said, go, your son will live. And he left. He left and began a journey home where, get this, this is crazy, he took his time. Now, how do we know he took his time? If he left at 1 p.m. the next day when he meets his servants, he's still not home yet. It's only 20 miles. He's, it's 20 miles downhill. Still not home yet. He's taking his time, get this, because he believes in the word of Jesus. Now, do you believe Jesus enough to go your way and take your time even though all signs point to the fact that you're crazy? Because this official did. He believed it. And he just trusted Jesus. He trusted his word enough to say, he told me to go. He told me my son's okay. So I'm going to go. I'm going to take my time. And that's what he does. Listen, the question all throughout scripture was never, did Jesus perform miracles? We know he performed miracles. The question was always, by whose authority, by what power 
Did Jesus do these things? And John wants us to see the grace of healing, but John also wants to see the power of healing, that when Jesus speaks, his word has power. When Jesus says, go, your son will live, it means you can go because your son will live. At one word, just through this word, the physical chemistry of this boy's body changes. The power uh, seen in that distance, 20 miles, is no difference. Think about this. This boy is 20 miles away, yet it would not have mattered if this boy was 200 miles away or 2,000 years away. When Jesus says it, it happens. And how do I, why do I say 2,000 years away? Because we are 2,000 years removed from the words of Jesus, and yet his words still have power over your life and my life. And we trust him, and as we trust Jesus, we still see the miraculous happen in our lives. And, and the power of this healing is seen in the fact that it was immediate. At the very moment Jesus spoke, it was done. But don't miss the authority of Jesus in the seventh hour. What I mean by that is this. You and I, we don't know when that seventh hour is. We don't know when that moment will be. We don't know at what point Jesus will speak and say it's done. But here's what we do know. According to Ecclesiastes 3.11, he will make all things beautiful in its time. He will do exactly what needs to be done at the right time in every moment, in every situation. We can trust that. There are at least two other times in Scripture where Jesus healed from a distance, and we're going to look at those in just a few moments. But just right now, just bask in the authority of Jesus over disease, bask in his authority over death, bask in his authority over time, over space, and over you. He has authority over you, over your life, over my life, over everything that enters into our lives. So healed by the authority of Christ, which leads us secondly to this. Healings were accomplished through the audacity of man, through the audacity of man. So even though we see the authority of Christ, we see man's part here. Please follow with me. You and I will never learn faith in comfortable surroundings. You know what God does? God gives us quiet hours. God gives us quiet moments so that we can take in his promises. But God doesn't keep us in those quiet hours. What God then does is takes us to the boisterous, loud, obnoxious hours of circumstances and pain and sorrow where we have to take what we learned in those quiet hours and we have to trust them in the midst of the boisterous pain and the boisterous sorrow that we walk through. The question is this, will you use those quiet moments to, to build, to grow in him so that in those dark and difficult moments, we trust him more and more? We trust the one, if we can trust God in those quiet moments, we can trust him when things are out of control because he's not out of control. Our circumstances might be out of control. He isn't out of control. And think about this, he healed through the audacity of man. Audacity means boldness or or courage and just when we think about audacity just let me remind you about this official who came to jesus he would have been a royal official serving under herod antipas son of herod the great herod antipas was a wicked man who had married his brother's wife and when john the baptist said that's a no-no he had john the baptist removed from his head so his head his body not together didn't work out well for John, except he's in the presence of God. So it worked out well from that standpoint. But here's this royal official connected to Herod Antipas, and he has the audacity to come to Jesus and not just come to Jesus. Some translations say that he begged 
he implored, he pleaded with Jesus to come and heal his son. And just follow with me here. Trouble can cause us to do many things. Trouble can cause us to lose sleep that we need. Trouble can cause us to lose the peace that we once had. Trouble can cause us to spend money that we should save. Or trouble can cause us to react quickly when we should be still and wait. Do we understand that? Trouble can be a very bad thing in our lives. It can cause us to do things we know we shouldn't do. But not everything trouble brings us is bad. In fact, trouble can be the very instrument that God uses to bring mercy and grace to us. For let me say, say it like this. I believe with all my heart this guy would have not come to Jesus unless his son was sick. Therefore, Jesus allowed this into his life for the very reason of bringing him to him. And think about what this guy probably did. His son was sick. He probably reached out to doctors, all doctors throughout the area to get any help he could get. He reached out to his friends, to his family. Can you give me anything that I can use to get my son? Well, none of it worked. All of a sudden, he hears that Jesus, who did miracles in Cana, is back. So he comes and he begs Jesus to come with him to heal his son. Don't miss this. God allowed a crisis in this man's life to bring him to Jesus. And God does the same in your life and my life. That got one amen. So that means you don't believe it much. But let me just tell you something. God will not keep you from destruction. God will not keep you from difficulties. God will keep, not keep you from pain. But the beautiful thing is God will use those things if you let him to bring them closer to him. God will use them to bring you closer to him if you, listen, stop, stop thinking that God has promised you smooth sailing and no difficulties whatsoever in your life. God never promised you that. If you think that God has promised you that, you, you might say, well, I'm a child of Jesus Christ. Yes, and Jesus died on a cross. Just remember that. He died on a cross. Therefore, we are to pick up our crosses and follow Jesus. And where does it end up? Not good. It ends up at a place where we are maybe even willing to be persecuted for the sake of him. Now, ultimately, it ends up with absent from the body, present with the Lord. Um, to live is Christ. To die is gain. We don't always like to talk about that, but here's, here's the point I want to make. Christ will allow us to go through crisis and difficulty so that we turn to him. It's a blessing. It's a gift. We don't see it that way, and we don't want it. It's the unwanted gift. But it's the gift that God uses to get our attention and to awaken our hearts to him. I read a story this week about a farmer who didn't spend much time thinking about God or spiritual matters at all. People invited him to church, but he didn't care about church. He didn't care about God. He never wanted to have a conversation. He had three sons, Jim, John, John, and Sam, all of which carried on their father's discontent, their, their father's basically um, unawareness of God and little desire for anything God. Well, the young son, Sam, one day was bitten by a rattlesnake. They brought in doctors who tried everything they could, but the situation looked very, very grim. Finally, at the end of their rope, the father asked for a pastor to be brought in. So the pastor comes in, kind of appraised the situation and prayed a very unique prayer. And let me just read you the prayer he prayed. O wise and righteous Father, 
We thank you that in your wisdom, you sent this rattlesnake to bite Sam. He's never been inside your church, and it's doubtful that he hasn't all of this time ever prayed or acknowledged your existence. Now we trust that this experience will be a valuable lesson to him and will lead to his genuine repentance. And now, O oh Father, will you send another rattlesnake to bite Jim, and another rattlesnake to bite John, and another really big one to bite the old man? For years, we have done everything we know to get them to turn to you, but all in vain. It seems, therefore, that what all of our combined efforts could not do, this rattlesnake has done. We thus conclude that the only thing that will do this family any real good is another rattlesnake. So, Lord, send bigger and better rattlesnakes in your name. Amen. Now, what in the world kind of prayer is that? If you call me to pray for you, and that's the prayer I pray for you, you're never calling me again. Like, I can, I can assure you, you'll never pick up my, my, the phone and dial my number to call me in to pray for you ever again. So what in the world kind of prayer was that? And let me just say this. It was a prayer that acknowledges that oftentimes the greatest gift that God can give you or give me is desperate need. The greatest gift that God can give us is desperate need need for God I tried I don't have the strength in me others have no answers God I have nothing I have no one and God is saying you have me you have me turn to me trust in me now let's look real quick at two similar events in scripture and I want you to see this this official went through the worst nightmare in his life but it gave him audacity to come to Jesus Turn with me real quick to Matthew 8, to Matthew 8 and then Matthew 15. Two passages in Matthew. I'm going to show you kind of similar stories. Matthew 8, 5 through 13. I want you to just listen to the audacity of a Roman centurion in coming to Jesus. Matthew 5, or 8, excuse me, 5 through 13. It says this. When you get there, let me hear you say. Okay, so when he had entered Capernaum, a centurion came forward to him, appealing to him, Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, suffering terribly. And he said to him, I will come and heal him. But the centurion replied, Lord, I'm not worthy to have you come under my roof, but only say the word and my servant will be healed. For I too am a man under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he marveled and said to those who followed him, Truly, I tell you, with no one in Israel have I found such faith. I tell you, many will come from east and west and recline at table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven, while the sons of the kingdom will be thrown into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And to the centurion, Jesus said, Go, let it be done for you as you have believed. And the servant was healed at that very time moment now look at matthew 15 and just listen to the audacity of a canaanite woman matthew 15 beginning at verse 22 so matthew 15 beginning at verse 22 when you get there let me hear you say so it says this and behold a canaanite woman from that region came out and was crying have mercy on me O lord son of david my daughter is severely oppressed by a demon but he did not answer her a word. And his disciples came and begged him, saying, Send her away, for she's crying out after us. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But she came and knelt before him, saying, Lord, help me. And he answered, It is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. And she said, Yes, Lord. 
Yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Then Jesus answered, O woman, great is your faith. Be it done for you as you desire. And her daughter was healed instantly. Just follow with me here. All three of these stories describe outsiders. Not Jewish people, outsiders with the audacity to come to Jesus and they all found healing. Again, distance is no barrier to the power of Christ. Often we, we ask for God to do things, but we really don't believe that he's going to do them. Sometimes we're shocked when God does what we've asked him to do. Like we pray and then God answers our prayer and we're like, that works. Like it actually works. And then guess what we do? We don't pray anymore until the next time we, we need something. Listen, as this father, we must ask and then we must proceed in faith, believing that God will answer our prayers, even if it's not instant. You can write this down. God will always answer in his time, in his way, according to his will. Let me say it again. God will always answer in his time, in his way, according to his will. Meaning the greatest thing you can ask of God in any moment is, God, may your will be done and give me the ability, Lord, to trust you in it. To trust you in it. But I want to assure you today, God will answer your prayers. Let us ask audaciously. Let us ask boldly, courageously, knowing that God honors bold prayers because bold prayers honor him. Let me say that again. God will honor bold prayers because bold prayers honor him. What, what do you have in your life that can only be explained by God? What story do you have in the last month that can only be explained because you love a God who loves you and you've asked him and he's done it for you? What, what story do you have in this year, these six months, of the fact that you have a loving God who loves you and you ask and he answers you because that's what he does? What story do you have in the last five years? And I'm saying this because oftentimes, brothers and sisters, we have nothing. We have nothing. And the reason we have nothing is because we refuse to keep our eyes open to the fact that God does that every day for those he loves. Every day your life is filled with instances of God around you, working for you, through you, to you, for the sake of his glory on display. And we have our eyes closed, our ears shut, and we don't see what God is doing. Open your eyes. Open your ears to what God is doing. Be audacious. Be bold. Be courageous. Which leads us lastly and quickly to healings were displayed as an agency of salvation. So healings, bodily healings were a sign pointing to something else needed to be done. Salvation of a soul. So it is desperation that drives people and drove this father to come to Jesus and beg him for healing for his son. And Jesus says, look at verses 48 and 49. Because the way that Jesus responds first is kind of crazy. In verse 48, Jesus says, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. Now, what kind of response is that? Now, when we look at that word you in the Greek, it is plural. So when Jesus says you, he's not speaking just to this guy. He's speaking to everyone who's listening. So Jesus is saying to everyone, unless you guys see signs, you refuse to believe at all. But then look at verse 49. The official said to him, sir, come down before my child dies. Don't miss what that means. This, this official believed that Jesus could heal his son, but he didn't believe at this moment that Jesus could raise his son from the dead. 
So his biggest fear is, Jesus, if you don't come, my son will die, and this story is over. The story is over, and Jesus says, you believe I'm a miracle worker, that's great because I am, but it's not enough. And here's what I know, far more people in the church and throughout our lives, they know that they have physical things in their lives, physical needs in all of our lives. We know that. But what we don't often address is the spiritual need that exists within us. So we will address that physical need in so many different ways. What we don't always address is the spiritual need. And in John 4, we find a double healing. We have the physical healing of a young boy, which led to spiritual healing of a household. Look at verse 53 with me, and you'll see it on the screen. The father knew that was the hour, the hour when, when Jesus had said, your son will live, and he himself believed and his whole household. If we are to understand who Jesus is, we must understand the significance of his miracles. One thing they were not, the miracles that Jesus did were not just a way of Jesus drawing a crowd. Jesus was not just a street magician, just trying to gather people to him so they can walk around and talk about how awesome he is. Every miracle that Jesus did confirmed the word that Jesus spoke, showing that Jesus is able to save. He is able to forgive sins. He is able to do the lesser things because he, he, he can do the, the greater things. And we trust him because he shows us so many different lesser things that, that he does, all pointing to our need for salvation. We can't remove the miraculous from what Jesus has done. In fact, in the words of C.S. Lewis, you can see it on the screen, it says this. One is very often asked, is present, whether we could not have a Christianity stripped or, as people ask it, say, freed from its miraculous elements. A Christianity with the miraculous elements suppressed. Now, it seems to me that precisely the one religion in the world, or at least the only one I know, with which you could not do that is Christianity. The Christian story is precisely the story of one grand miracle. If you take that away, there is nothing specifically Christian left. There may be many admirable human things which Christianity shares with other systems in the world, but there would be nothing specifically Christian. And follow with me here. Just think about the gospel message. The gospel message is that there is a holy God, an amazing, incredible, all-powerful God who made all things out of nothing. In the midst of making, creating, he created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he blessed them. He said, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth. Basically saying, fill the earth with my glory. As you go, fill the earth with the knowledge of me. And mankind, made in God's image, had the audacity to look back at God and say, no. We'll do it our way. Our way is better than your way, God. And God, in his amazing grace, kept pursuing man. And man would keep running from God and God would pursue and God did miracle after miracle, redeeming mankind from slavery, redeeming mankind from all kind of enemies, and God would intervene in so many different ways, and yet man kept running. But praise be to God, God kept pursuing. Amen. And we get to the New Testament, it says in the fullness of time, at the very right time, God sent forth his son, born of a virgin. And Jesus came, and he lived a perfect life. He was tempted in every way just as we are. He's our sympathizing high priest. He has no sin in his life, and he showed the power of God on display in and through his life. But all of those things pointed to the fact that we had a greater need, a greater need than, our, than just the physical. 
So therefore, Jesus went to the cross and died for your sin and my sin, absorbing the wrath that we deserve. He died. He was placed in the tomb, but praise be to God, the grave could not hold him. He ascended to heaven, and praise be to God, we have the, the miracle of all miracles. He is coming again. He's going to take us to be with him. We will be forever with the Lord. All of those things is a one long story, and it's miracle after miracle after miracle after miracle, ultimately pointing to our greatest need of salvation. But the God who is able to meet our greatest need is also able to meet the lesser needs in our lives because that's just how good he is. That's how good he is. Do we believe that? We believe that. And the scripture tells us, you see on the screen, if we confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So the question comes, what are we talking about when we say believe in your heart or believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved? Yes, we believe that Jesus is a miracle worker. Salvation is a miracle. We believe that Jesus worked the works of God. We believe that Jesus' words are the very words of God. When Jesus spoke, God spoke. But more than that, we believe in the person of Jesus. He is the Son of God. Remember, at the end of this gospel, John says, I write these things to you that you may believe that Jesus is the Son of God and that by believing you may have what? You may have life in his name. Back to John 4. This man comes home. He sees his son. He believes in Jesus. He leads his household to believe in Jesus. And in that moment, they have life in his name. Where are you at on that faith journey? Do you have life in his name? And second of all, do you have abundant life in his name? Do you have growing life in his name? Do you have an exciting, abounding life in his name? Are you the envy of the lost world because they look at you going, man, I wish I could have the peace and the joy and the hope that they have? Or does the lost world look at you and say, you're no different than me. In fact, you, you, you worry more than I do. You, you claim to have a Savior and you worry more than I do. Oh, to God that we would exude the life that Jesus died to give us. An abundant life. And the reason I get upset is, is this. We have a group of professing believers that have put crosses all over their place and, and Christian fishes all the back of their cars and they live like everybody else with zero faith in Jesus. All they do different is they come to church once a week. That's all they do different. Brothers and sisters, it's time for us to either we're going to believe God at his word or we're not. But may we be a people who believe him. May we be a people who believe him. Listen, it's hard to deny the miraculous. You can't deny the miraculous, but it's not enough not enough. We can't just say Jesus was a great miracle worker. Yes, he was, but he's more. We can't just say he was a great teacher. Yes, he was, but he is more. You have to believe he is the son of God, and that in believing you have life in his name. Have you done that? If you have not, may today be the day of salvation. But let me step back and let me speak to every other person in this place as a child of God. And let me speak right now to the distance that it exists in many of your hearts because of pain, because of sorrow, because of circumstances, because of your past, because of what you have done or what other people have done to you. And there is a distance right now. You're in church. You've sang songs. You've listened to a message. But there is a distance in your heart between you and God. Let me say, if that distance is in your heart today, the distance is in you, it's not in God. Because he's near. He is near. He is present. He is with you right now. And he, he has the power 
even now, Jesus has the power even now to overcome that distance in your heart and bring healing at the very place by which you need to be healed, the very place that you need to be touched, the very place that you need to see him work. He has the power to do so. But guess what you have to do? You have to ask. You have to come boldly to him the way this official came. You can't just assume it. You can't just walk through it. You ask. And we ask him to do what only he can do. But praise be to God, he has the power to close that distance. He has the power to overcome that distance. And he has the power to meet us exactly where we are, every single one of us. And he has the power to leave us different. May we let him. I'm going to go ahead and ask you to stand. And we're going to call the, the worship team forward as we enter into this time of invitation and consecration. And let us pray in this moment. Father, in, in closing, Jesus, in closing, we thank you that you are the one who heals through the distance. Just a word, just a word from you, 20 miles, 200 miles, 2,000 years, just a word from you. I pray for anyone in the sound of my voice, whether here or watching online that doesn't know you, that today would be the day that they confess with their mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in their hearts that God has raised him from the dead and they will be saved. Today will be a day that they turn from their sin, turn from their self, and turn to you, Jesus. But I also pray, God, for so many believers in this room, under the sound of my voice, that, Lord, we claim Christianity, we read our Bibles, we come to church, and yet we don't really believe you. We don't pray, we don't ask, we don't see you do anything in our lives. And oh, God, how that must break your heart. That you have saved us, you've redeemed us, you've called us by name, and yet we live no differently than anyone else. God, you saved us for a purpose. Help us to find that and walk in that, Lord. For what you started in us, your words is you will finish. We gotta let you, Lord, finish what you started in us. Help us to be a people who ask, God, who seek, who knock who acknowledge that we can't, but God, you can. We're not, but you are. Just finish this time, God. For this time is maybe going to be finished by us. Maybe for the first time in a long time, just asking. Boldly, courageously, God, just asking. Finish this time. In Jesus' name.